I think as many men as possible should join women's sports. You are missing out. Why wouldn't you go and win some medals for yourself in this rigged system? I, it makes no sense. You don't even have to do anything. You don't have to cut anything off. You, you just identify. It doesn't matter. And also what that's going to do is I actually think that could help a lot of people because if you had a mass wave of people join women's sports tomorrow, then that would force the hand of a lot of lawmakers and politicians to say, Oh, this really isn't making sense. We're going to have to do something about this. Um, it would rip the bandaid off. I think it would red pill tons of parents and people partake, partaking in these sports. I think anyone watching this, if you are a man that, you know, has the ability to go have some fun and join some women's leagues, uh, go do it. Absolutely. Win all those medals while you can in this brief period of history and save our nation in the process of doing that. You know, yeah, you know, a, a few women might lose scholarships, but that's better than uh, our whole nation being in delusion for the rest of eternity. Welcome to episode 151 of my podcast. I'm Michaela Peterson. Today's guest is Lauren Southern. I haven't spoken to her very much since I first started podcasting, but I had her back on to discuss her recent documentary, American Mirage, about the American immigration crisis. You can actually watch the entire thing on YouTube. I've linked it in the show notes. We also spoke about politics, hyper-individualization, trans athletes, rumors online, the San Bernardo massacres, and more. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Please consider subscribing if you do. Before we get started, this episode was sponsored by BioOptimizers. If you experience anxiety, depression, stress, or have trouble sleeping, I always recommend going low carb. It's changed my life. But there's a super easy to implement thing most of us forget about or don't know about, magnesium. 50% of Americans are magnesium deficient. Isn't that crazy? 50%. Magnesium helps with depression, anxiety, diabetes, blood pressure, and even fat metabolism and digestion, as magnesium is the body's master mineral and powers over 300 critical reactions. And again, 50% of Americans are deficient. Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizers is a supplement with all seven organic forms of magnesium and cofactors like manganese and vitamin B6 for enhanced stress relief and performance. Many users report immediately noticing the effects. Most magnesium supplements are synthetic or only have a couple of types of magnesium in them. Magnesium Breakthrough is the only supplement like this on the market. Make it a habit, be in charge of your well-being. Just take one before bed every night and see how you feel the next day. Here's an exclusive offer to get you started. Visit magbreakthrough.com slash Peterson or use code Peterson at checkout for 10% off magbreakthrough.com slash Peterson. I hope you enjoy this episode. Lauren Southern, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for having me before we, uh, I mean, actually hit the record button. We were just talking about how much shit you get on the internet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, both of true. us. Yeah. You as well. You get, and how it's, yeah, it's rough. It can be rough. Yeah. It's always good to have a mix of both like accusations of being a far right terrorist. And then also people going after your family, you know, you got to get that good balance between the two. But what I was saying that your producer was like, Oh, say that again, Lauren was, I, I was on like a podcast a few weeks ago and people were bringing up in the comments and whatnot. They're like, Oh, Michaela Peterson is a fraud. She's, she's just made up this lion diet. She's scamming people. And every time I see that, it triggers me so much because I remember hanging out with you. What year would this have been that you came to my little like 500 20, square foot apartment? It, I think it was 2016. Yeah. This was like 2016 yeah. before you had social media presence. You had 
did you have brown hair then? Am I crazy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You did. So it was, yeah, it was before blonde hair. It was a while ago, a while ago. And we had a glass of wine and you just kept going off about, Oh Lord, I've had all these autoimmune issues. I'm obsessed with like this new diet thing I'm creating. I'm eliminating all of these different foods. I remember going for dinner with your family <laughs> and you got, you only putting meat on the table and I had no context. And I was like, what's wrong with these people? Why are they only serving like meat for every dish? So this is like for anyone who thinks this is like some crazy fraud that you and your dad are trying to scam people over. No, they've always been this weird guys. This is like, you're getting full unfiltered, real weirdness that works for them. And a lot of people. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I think you actually came. Did you come over for dinner in 2016? And then I, we hung out at your place a couple of weeks later. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Yeah. That was everything. You guys didn't, you didn't tell me at all about your like only meat diet. So I was just sitting there. (laughs) I'm like, where's the salad guys? (laughs) Anything? Yeah, no, we were, it was a bit, yeah. It's awkward at the beginning. (laughs) No, it was like, screw it, whatever it is, what it is. I love weird people. I love weird people. That was a lot of fun. It was good. Um, chatting with you, but yeah, it was like right before that powder keg just blew up. And then your dad was an international celebrity, man, that must've done a lot to your psyche. Like, how did that affect you? (laughs) (laughs) Michaela on the, on the Lauren Southern podcast. Um, how did that, how did that affect me? Honestly, like I was kind of, I was so wrapped up in health things at the time. I mean, you hung out with me. It was like hung out and I just talked about like, whoa, this is crazy. I'm eliminating things and I'm getting better. Isn't that crazy? Like the first time we hung out. So I think I was so wrapped up in like my autoimmunity disappearing with dietary changes that I was like, that's serious. That's like incurable disorders going into remission. And then dad blowing up online. I was like, it was hard to understand how much of that was like just the online world. Cause I was kind of not attached to it. So it only started impacting me. I think if really, um, dad went on tour. So then I didn't see him as much. And then a few years later when they started getting, it started getting really personal for like online articles, attacking like health really. And my family, like that started to, um, impact me. But at the time, I think it was too new. Plus it was like, what does that even mean? And how long is this going to last? And we didn't know what was going on. So I think I was too wrapped up in health stuff at the time. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a nice little trade-off. You finally get rid of like your physical health issues and then you get to yeah. trade them for a bunch of mental health issues caused yeah. by internet fame. So that's really cool. Yeah. Super fun. <laughs> super fun. Okay. Okay. Lauren, you were on my podcast when I first launched the podcast like right, right at the beginning when, oh my gosh, life was so bad. I was in Serbia with dad. That's where I filmed with you. And he was so sick and life was so bad, but you came on my podcast. That was a long time ago. And now you're back. So for anyone who doesn't know you somehow, can you give a brief background about who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, I was a big far right internet villain for many years. Um, Started in politics when I was like, 18, 19, uh, kind of at the crux of the Trump movement, 2016 Gamergate, all that stuff. And, uh, then I disappeared for a year in 2018, 2019, 2019, um, focus on family, all of that. And now I'm back 
and more relevant than ever zealous internet celebrity over here. No, but, uh, no, it's good. I'm just making videos here and there on my political interests, just coming out with a new documentary called American Mirage. In fact, it is out tomorrow. Super exciting on the immigration crisis to the U S. Um, yeah. So just focusing on, on these, uh, more specific projects rather than kind of, I, I did, I did the whole viral streeter, like hot content for a long time, but, uh, I'm kind of enjoying uh, this more chill arc. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. And an immigration documentary. So like to keep out, it's so funny. It's so funny. My, uh, fiance is kind of like, he's like all American. I, I wouldn't say he's anti-immigrant but like he makes immigrant jokes occasionally and i'm like you you know you're marrying one how's it feel how's it feel coming in here stealing your jobs as an immigrant that's what i'm doing jordan so true well this this documentary is actually entirely from the perspective of the migrants themselves um the reason that i do that in a lot of cases is because people perceive my work as anti-immigrant all the time um And also because Americans tend to not look at the border situation or understand the border situation until it actually enters America. I think looking at it from the immigrants perspective gives you a new a new view on what's going on um, at the at the Mexican border. And then it also makes it far more difficult to criticize because I can see people criticizing and saying you're only looking from the American perspective Lauren. you're only Mm -hmm. looking at these people as, you know, not human beings. They're just like a horde of invaders or whatever. Well, no, even when you look at these situations from the migrants perspective, this is a messy and broken situation. We're dealing with the American migration process or lack thereof. Right. Uh, It doesn't matter whose perspective you look at it from it's, it's messy and something needs to change. Okay. Can you, um, can you give me a background about exactly what's going on? That's an interesting perspective. I think valuable. So what, what is, what's the problem? And as a Canadian, I'm like, eh, it's America's problem. Um, (laughs) but now I'm in America. So what exactly is the problem with immigration between, I guess, on, on the lower border? Well, I'd say certainly from the migrants' perspective, there is no real immigration system. They hear every day of friends or family that will apply to legally go to America, and they never get a call back. They never get maybe 15 years waiting in the system or never anything because they don't have the financial support. They don't have the job background. They don't have someone they're tied to in the U.S. that can bring them over. So the idea of legally immigrating is impossible for some of these people. And then they hear time and time again, a friend who's now living in California, New York, wherever that uh, did a month long trek over the border and they're living it up. And they start to assume that, well, that's just the process you have to go through, especially coming from broken countries where, you know, they've got a corrupt government. And if you want to get anything done, you have to pay off a few cops. You have to pay off a few government officials. They look at America and they're like, it's the same. If I want to immigrate there, I just have to go there illegally. I have to get a coyote. This is the process of becoming an American is paying a coyote, is going over illegally. And that's very similar to our own governments. And you know what? They're not wrong to think it because America have been letting it happen for years and years and years. And they're legalizing these people. They're allowing them to live in America after they immigrate illegally. So why are immigrants supposed to think any different? That's interesting. So it actually is the process, basically. Yeah. Basically now it is. You're, I, I, you are a thousand, especially if you're one of these people coming from South America, you don't have a passport anymore. You're someone that's poor living in Mexico. Why you're not going to get through legally. And everyone, you know, that does get over is typically getting through illegally. 
why would you do anything else? And you know, they even think of it, you have to pay like 3000, 5,000 bucks to some of these coyotes to go over the border. And funny enough, a lot of people could just walk over themselves, but in certain regions, the coyotes, uh, or, or, um, the cartel will actually shoot you at night. If you try to walk over yourself, because they want to make sure that it's known you have to go through us. You can't just, you know, make your own way. Um, so they're like, okay, yeah. When I get to the border, I pay the cartel. That's part of the process. And then I get to become an American. <laughs> so they actually, wow. like, they just view that as yeah, the system. So did you go down there and do interviews? Yeah. So I went all the way down to Guatemala and we, I actually illegally crossed into Guatemala, but when I say oh my that, gosh. can you say that? I Is that okay to say it, it, it costs 20 pesos. I think that's like 99 cents, not even. So it costs 20 what? pesos there and back to go illegally into Guatemala. And I'm not kidding. The uh, boats that they have that you take over with these human traffickers, sometimes they are literally underneath official immigration checkpoints. It's like taking the piss. <laughs> You've got the official checkpoint. You can go and do the whole stupid passport process, or you can just go under the bridge and pay 20 pesos and go to Guatemala. Yeah. So we went there, we had a few beers. We uh, spoke to the locals that were living across the Sushiate river. And then, um, yeah, we hopped on the boat, went back to Mexico and took the whole trek. We followed, we followed the track that they would take straight from the waterfront all the way to the U S border. Border Reynosa. You're insane. This is why people attack you online. Like, who does that? Were you yeah, stressed out about that at all? Um, I had armed security. Do you experience and stress, Lauren? <laughs> I think I thrive in chaos, Michaela. <laughs> okay. It's not good. It's not healthy, but I do. I try to make it organized chaos enough that I won't die. And what I've learned after all these trips <laughs> is um, it, as long as you have a local that's pretty savvy and knows the area and has connections, you'll be pretty okay. So I had, I had a really great security team. My, my one local guy who, who, uh, was armed, you know, always had the Glock in the back of his pants. And then, uh, he'd been in shootouts with Sicarios and everything before as well. Great guy. Um, and then we had like a crew that were back at their, uh, kind of Intel office that would call the local police and cities that we were going to. And they had great Intel. Like uh, we were in a city called Tierra Blanca and we had three police officers come up to us and our, um, you know, Intel guys let us know, Hey, Sicarios know you're here. They're watching you. So you should get out of the town before nightfall, because obviously they want to kidnap foreign crews, especially camera crews that they can get money off of and whatnot. So we got out of that city before nightfall, got to a safe, uh, different place, Veracruz. And as long as you kind of had that connection or conversation and made sure you were allowed to do things. When I was in Tamaulipas, we spoke to the cartel and they let us know areas that we weren't allowed to film. Otherwise they'd shoot us. So we didn't go and film there. Right. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, as long as they're kind of, it's weird. Um, I spent quite a bit of time traveling in the last couple of years. And I wasn't aware, like, I don't think people in America to a lot of people like never leave America are aware of how different cultures can be, but there are cultures that just operate like that. Like as long as you know, the rules, it's fine. It's yes. not like it's lawless. There are rules. It's just, the rules are, you know, from the mafia and those are the rules. So you, instead of the, you know, the government, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I like, Okay. So people might think this is unethical, but it's not because you don't get anything done in other countries that you have to pay off the police. You have to, if you go to another country where you're potentially going to get killed or there's like lots of crime and stuff, you have to pay off the police for information. 
just, you know, or to tell you where to go or to tell you if they're going to like watch you and make sure you're going to be safe. So there are a lot of things you can do to be safe. And of course I had lots of opportunities that, um, I could have gone and done and watched that I chose not to, because it was too much of a gamble. Uh, one example is mm. we actually ran into, I love, I love doing this. It was so cool. I, I was looking on Google maps for areas that I thought might be, um, major crossing points in over the Texas border. I think it was across from McAllen, Texas. And I found this one area where the Trump's wall just stopped. Like it was done. I had a drone. So I was also like going over these areas and looking for areas that would be breaks in the wall and Trump's wall just stopped. And there was like this Texan country club. And I'm like, there's no way there's not human trafficking going on here. There's no way they aren't crossing here. Cause there's just no border wall. So we went there for like four nights and just stayed there until, because we had been told by our cartel contact, they they typically go over at around 4 a.m. because that's when switch shifts are for, uh, you know, American border security. Everyone's pretty sluggish at that time. And the first morning we spent there, we ran into human traffickers. Uh, they, they had like all these life jackets. Uh, oh, I, I was so embarrassing. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? We're in the middle of the woods. You know, there's potentially armed human traffickers. They're walking towards us. And my Dora, the Explorer ass just walks out from behind the car. And I'm like, hola, amigos, how are you doing this morning? Oh, and they, they luckily ran off, but we could have followed them. Maybe would have gotten some interesting footage, but typically they take two security like armed guards that pick them off, pick them up and drop them off. Luckily we just ran into the boatmen, but we weren't about to find out who they were being picked up by. Right. So just let that one be. <laughs> that seems, that seems wise. That seems like a wise decision. It's like, do we chase those people that might end up with, you know, guns or no, no. Good. I'm glad you're here. Now you can be on my podcast. Exactly. I, I actually thought about that there. I was like, you know what? Yeah. I've got the Michaela Peterson podcast yeah. going. I can't, I can't be doing this. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So how long did this documentary take to film? It took a little over two weeks. That's, it sounds like such a small time, but it was actually meant to be like a mini report. Actually, no, it took more than that. My on the ground time was a little over two weeks. And then I did a few interviews with, uh, Ali Bradley and, um, Dan Lyman from border Hawk. So that was done afterwards. So I'd, I'd say the editing and filming process has been about four months. Wow. And how did your last documentary perform? Crossfire did fantastic. I only published it on my own site. So I think I need to put it on YouTube. I was a bit concerned about my YouTube channel being taken down because it's just kind of repeated clips of violence, shootings, blood, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it did really well, like over, you know, over a million views on my own site. So that's, uh, that's really cool. We worked hard on that, but but this always happens. I'll find an amazing film crew and they always get poached or taken. Tucker Carlson took my film crew for that. If you guys don't know, um, Scooter Downey, he did Crossfire with me. Incredibly talented man. He's now doing all of Tucker Carlson originals videos. Go follow him. He's doing some of the most important work in the world right now. And of course, behind the scenes, people uh, always get too little appreciation and tend to take the the blame for any mistakes made by uh, their more famous counterparts or bosses. I, I've seen so many people that work behind the scenes, get their lives screwed over, but um, they deserve way more appreciation. All the people who are doing filming, editing, uh, all this stuff for big creators. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. So Tucker poached him. I know what a horrible man. No, no, no. He, uh, yeah. Tucker could pay him what he deserves. I don't, <laughs> I don't have the Fox news budget. So I'm proud of Scooter. He's doing good work. 
Cool. Okay. So then you had to go out and find another crew. How do you locate a crew that's willing to do that kind of thing? There are very few people, especially within conservatism, right-wing movements uh, that actually do creative work. (laughs) Uh, It's our own fault for telling everyone that going into the arts was a mistake. (laughs) Don't do it. You can only get trades. Otherwise you're a liberal cuck, right? Uh, And then, wow, shocking. We lost the culture war because we lost the arts, movie making, everything that influences people's souls, hearts, and minds. Great work guys. So there's like four filmmakers on the right wing. Um, My last two, my first, no, 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 they would have been like, yeah, the first guys I did documentaries with, they got completely slandered by the right wing, uh, all lies. Uh, I'll be talking about that shortly. So they left and they decided they hated working with people in right-wing politics and now work for some Mm. leftist channel. They're like, y'all are just too insane. Uh, Second Mm. guy, Scooter, got... um, He got poached by Tucker and then a partner of Scooter's, John Dutoit, who works with, um, he worked with Cernovich on his films and also with Scooter a few times. Uh, He helped me with this American Mirage. By helped me, I mean, he did all the editing and filming. Amazing, amazing work by John Dutoit on this documentary coming out. So, uh, and and I think he wants to retire. I don't think he wants to do video work anymore. So I need to go find some more, uh, artsy film people, or I'm not going to have another documentary, but damn, they're hard to find. Thanks a lot. Uh, I, you know what? I like Dennis Prager. I grew up listening to him, but all those Prager U videos that are like, you shouldn't follow your dreams. Don't go into the arts. They ruined it for me. <laughs> oh yeah. No, fair enough. I think daily wire is doing some interesting work in that, like with, um, trying to, I know that they're trying to start making movies or something. Like, so they're, they're trying to take it on. I was just at their studio uh, a few weeks ago with Michael Knowles and we did this cool little drinking show. And I I liked that. I like that they're taking a different approach. It was like a drinking game. So you had to ask each other questions and vote whether you thought the other person was going to say yes or no. And then you drink. I want to do that. Yeah, you should absolutely do it. I was the first uh, female guest he had on the show. So clearly he needs to up, uh, up the diversity An anti-woman guy from the daily wire typical absolutely typical <laughs> um what was i gonna say yeah i like that because they're creating content that isn't just kind of the same conservative format of let me tell you about policy issues for two hours <laughs> we need we need something a bit different yeah a little bit more you know not to say clickbaity but i mean a little bit more entertaining humans. We need to show that we are human beings. I think that's the biggest uh, optics problem the right has. People are like, okay, you guys are actually just people who wear suits and you don't, (laughs) you don't like sex. You don't like drinking. You don't like music. You don't like arts. You don't like any of this. You just like talking about policy and staring at a camera. And it's like, well, no, no, actually conservatives are complex human beings with lots of interests. Just, I think we fear talking about those interests and complexity a lot since there's so much judgment in uh, all, all political spheres, actually. And you're kind of supposed to stick to that box. Like it's kind of like if a liberal makes a joke in their shows, everyone's like, whoa, that's a bit too spicy. You're triggering a lot of us. So they kind of have to adhere to this inhuman standard as well. And then if conservatives are like, Haha, we're going to do a drinking show, I think it's less so now, but maybe before you would have gotten a lot of criticism of that not being a emblematic of conservative values. But I think that's dissipating and more people are beginning to, uh, beginning to realize that conservatives uh, need to show a human side as well. 
Yeah. Well, and a lot of the people too, that four years ago or 2016, 2017, even 2018 that identified as liberals are now like, maybe I'm not a liberal anymore because things have gone even further left, you know? Yeah. 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 Hard to, hard to say where anyone is with the state of the Overton window. I don't even think you, are you even, do you even consider yourself adherent to any political ideology yourself? Um, I've always kind of like veered libertarian for mm-hmm. forever. Like I remember in 2012 and they're like, what do you identify with? I'm like, eh, probably libertarian. What's the, what's the party that says just like, leave me alone and let me think for myself. And I don't need like rules put on me by anybody. Yeah. Libertarian, yeah. right? Maybe ish kind of, I don't know. I don't trust anybody. I don't think anyone, like, I don't think anyone is that competent. And I think that people who go into government also aren't that competent because if you're competent, why not make a business and make hordes of money? It's like, Oh no, I want to save the world. I'm like, you're going to save the world by going into government. Right. Okay. The problem is all of the people who want power and want to get into politics are the worst leaders and all the people who would be great leaders never in their lives would get into politics. So. Yeah, exactly. That's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And then they villainize business owners as if like, Oh, those are the bad guys. It's like, what? I don't know if I agree with that evil corporate. I mean, there are some evil corporations. There are a lot, but we, we, we I don't should know. take out a phone book if they still exist and just open it to a random page and point to a name, and that person gets to be president for four years. <laughs> I would it work out worse? <laughs> it would. It would probably be fine. Like that. It can't possibly be worse than than now, right? As long as the guy had the reaction of, ah, damn it. I really don't want to do this. Fine. I'll leave my working class job for four years and make some tough decisions. And I don't really give a shit what people think of me or if they hate me or not, whatever. (laughs) I think that would work out a lot better than uh, all these like massively because anytime you're making a political calculation for, okay, am I going to, what decision do I have to make to win four years from now? What decision do I have to make to win two years from now? You're always going to be making these like, instant quick hit decisions, none of which have time preference for like, holy shit, how is this going to affect people 10 years from now? How is this going to actually, yeah, it's all going to be just for the election cycle, which is a horrendous way to run a country. So, so what you're saying is we should just have a dictator because that would just eliminate you know that problem. And perhaps maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's no, okay. Here's my theory actually. Um, we, we look at China and everyone can jump up and down about how angry they are about, you know, the social credit system, how oppressive they are, blah, 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 blah. Right. Just because something is bad doesn't mean it doesn't work. And I think we Uh-oh. have to, and, and I'm not saying we do it. It's bad. So don't do it, but it, it works, right? It works. It's making them become a global leader in a lot of ways. They are, they're, they're finishing their hundred year plan. They are getting the South China sea. They aren't having George Floyd to your rights, actually maybe Hong, Hong Kong, you know what? Never mind. I take that back. But there, there are a lot of aspects to authoritarianism that could work. You can solve a lot of problems with genocide, but doesn't mean you should do it. Right. So uh, I think that holy, that is a clip and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's that. definitely, I'm using that. <laughs> that was, that was Stalin's argument though. Right. It was that, you know, uh, the Russia and that area was going to be invaded by the West and they needed to rapidly evolve. And the only way to rapidly evolve was for, you know, hundreds of thousands and potentially millions of people to die, but then they evolved. So it was like, I think that that's kind of where China's coming from too. It's like, it doesn't matter. You know, it's the culture that needs to survive. It's not the person in the culture. 
yeah, if you don't value individual human life the way that a liberal society does, although that's becoming questionable, um, then of course you're going to make a decision for this conglomerate, this idea of the nation rather than the individual. And I think there's a happy mix in there. I think we've probably got too much individualism in the West to the point where it's like, I am willing to tank this entire country for my own freedom to do whatever I want to do. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and lack of consideration, like everyone else has to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I don't care if you're like a 90 year old lady whose family died and probably it would be the morally right thing to go and care for you and give up a little bit of my selfishness. Um, I, I think that hyper individualism is a problem, but of course the opposite hyper, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Michaela? <laughs> Individual, I don't know. It the be opposite of individual. It... Yeah, collectivism. Thank you. Hyper collectivism, hey. hyper, um, you know, just being about everyone else that that causes severe, severe issues as well. Dehumanization for sure. How do you feel? I mean, you're on here, so we might as well get controversial. How do you feel about this whole trans thing that's going on with um, men in women's sports? Or sorry, no, trans people in women's sports. I guess trans people in everybody's sports. That, I butchered that, but that can be part of the clip too. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting because on on one hand, you know this this is a problem of the hyper individualization. Like I can be anything I want, but then also they're demanding everyone else accept their hyper individualization. So we've got like this disgusting mix of both. Like I want to be this collectivist nation. I want to be able to force other people to do what I say, but then I also want to have these like hyper crazy individual rights that everyone else has to adhere to. So if I identify as a he today, you have to call me a he by threat of, you know, legal action, or if it can't be legal action, then I'll make it social action. You will be socially excluded mm -hmm. from civilization and likely fired from your job. That is insanely authoritarian under the guise of freedom. Cause they'll pretend like, Oh, this is my freedom to identify as who I want. This is, I I'm being liberated to be who I want to be. But if your own liberation comes at the cost of everyone else's freedom to even think or have opinions, well, I, I don't know if that's really, I don't, I don't really know if I'd call that a freedom. Yeah, that's for sure. I saw, I don't remember who posted it on Instagram, but it was some skateboarding contest. I don't know. I think it was college people. They were skateboarding and, um, uh, uh, you know, dude identifying as a girl one in the girls league. And the person who came in second was like, you know what? I've been, you know, quiet long enough. This is ridiculous. Right. And I don't see how that isn't going to, I used to kind of veer away from this topic because part of the reason dad sprung to infamy or whatever, uh, was over the bill C 16 and his refusal to call people like, you know, just to be made to call people something, you know, not, you know, anything really. Um, I was like, I'm just going to delve away from that topic. Cause it's kind of controversial. I'm not super interested in it, but recently, uh, it's gotten to a point. And I think more people are speaking out about it. That it's just, it's bothering me more and more. Like I can, I'm concerned about it with like a kid in school, whether or not the school is going to go woke and then she's going to be competing against men. And it's like, yeah. We're at a weird point. Well, just it, it, it doesn't make sense to me because we split the categories in sports based on people's biology, not because they're women who like dresses. And, you know, we I talk with a higher pitched voice and have longer hair. That's not why we split the categories. You can be the biggest yeah. tomboy in the world and play in the women's category. 
because that's what your biology is. So if people are going to say, well, trans people are real because your gender and your sex are different things, that's their argument, right? It doesn't matter if the sex of the transgender person is they have a penis and that's, you know, the biology they're born with because their gender is different. So why can't we just say, okay, fine, whatever you can be, whatever gender you want. If you want your gender to be male, you have to still compete in the sport of your sex though. Why, why I don't understand if you want to split those two things fine. But when we talk about sports, we are obviously talking about people's sex, their biology, not their gender expression. So like you're, you're, I feel like they're undermining their own argument by suggesting no sex and gender are the same. Yeah. And then, and, and then everybody at the school is scared to say anything or they'll be labeled a bully. Okay. I was smiling there. Cause I forgot I'm having this conversation with you. Didn't you change your, what did you change? I don't even know if it's gender or sex. Are you gender, I guess in Canada yeah, years guess, ago. Well, okay. Well, what's crazy is that it does say sex on my ID card, but yeah, I changed my sex to male. I had to go get a uh, doctor's note to do it too. I had to have a doctor diagnose me as male. And then I went to basically our Canadian version of the DMV and uh, went and presented my doctor's note. They started calling me Mr. Right away and gave me my new identification. And all of that was done within a matter of like three hours. What year was that? 2016. Did that decision like haunt you after that? I mean, I, yeah, definitely. I, I feel like it kind of I mean, was it a piss pain? out of our institutions, doesn't it? Well, 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 no, that for sure. But I mean, did you end up in any trouble because you had like man on your, on your ID? Did that ever come to bite you? I can recall maybe three strange looks from bartenders. That's about it. But no one's going to say anything. What you're, you want to go to jail, make a comment on my ID. I, I do think that, that people absolutely did read that when I would like give it at bars and stuff and think, wow, you pass well friend. Yeah. Yeah. Good <laughs> job. job. <laughs> it's funny. The only time uh, I ever did that, I was, I was at a theater and there was this massive line. It was Halloween. So I was dressed as woman, wonder woman. Cause that was my usual outfit <laughs> on Halloween. And uh, there was a huge line for the women's washroom. So I went in the men's washroom. They're like, you can't be in here. And I was like, I'm identifying. I'm a man. I'm identifying as man. They're like, okay. So they just sent in a, a security guard with yeah. me. They're like, well, we'll send in a security guard with you. I was like, yes, this works. The system works. They absolutely, the system, if you can learn how to rig the system, I think as many men as possible should join women's sports. You are missing out. Why wouldn't you go and win some medals for yourself in this rigged system. I, it makes no sense. You don't even have to do anything. You don't have to cut anything off. You, you just identify. It doesn't matter. And also what that's going to do is I actually think that could help a lot of people because if you had a mass wave of people join women's sports tomorrow, then that would force the hand of a lot of lawmakers and politicians to say, Oh, this really isn't making sense. We're going to have to do something about this. Um, it would rip the bandaid off. I think it would red pill tons of parents and people partake, partaking in these sports. I think anyone watching this, if you are a man that, you know, has the ability to go have some fun and join some women's leagues, uh, go do it. Absolutely. Win all those medals while you can in this brief period of history and save our nation in the process of doing that. You know, yeah. You know, a, a few women might lose scholarships, but that's better than, uh, our whole nation being in delusion for the rest of eternity. Hmm. You know what? I'm not, you know, normally what I've been saying is just fight back. Like women on teams should be saying no, but they're not. So, I mean, it would certainly be a lot faster if suddenly there were no women on any team because men are going to be objectively stronger period. It was like, oh, suddenly there are no women. And then maybe someone will be like, um, 
Uh, may, maybe, maybe we've gone backwards. <laughs> well, they rely on the argument of it's just a few here and there. What are you talking about? You know, uh, biological men aren't dominating all of these fields. It's like, okay, it's just a few is not an argument because it could be more than just a few one day, you know, <laughs> like it, it will be, it, it will be. Yeah. It's, it's not an argument to say, well, you only have two or three examples. We don't want any more than that. We don't want more examples. We want this to stop. Yeah. Insane. So let me see. I have a whole list of questions here that I wanted to ask you about that I haven't got to. Well, we talked about American Mirage. So that's the documentary and I will link it below or in show notes if people want to check it out. Um, let me see. Let me see. Okay. Well, this is, this could be fun. Um, can you tell me about the South African farm attacks? Oh yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been a bit since I uh, did that documentary, but still my most popular to date farmlands, uh, the, the attacks on basically white farmers, because there's so much racial animosity in the country against white people who a lot of uh, South African individuals now blame for any sort of crises the country faced, whether it be poverty issues, wealth disparity, certainly all of this is blamed on the evil white man. And of course the, uh, the country does have a history of apartheid, but, um, <laughs> don't want to get into that. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of complexity there, but unfortunately the politicians are not working in large part to try to heal this racial animosity, but instead they're inflaring it. You have political parties that actually have, elected positions that have, you know, members of parliament that are calling for the murder of white people in the country, kill, shoot the boar. The leader of the EFF has chanted to his audience. Um, absolutely nuts. So it's not, a lot of people would be like, oh, this is a conspiracy talking about the murder of whites in South Africa is a conspiracy. No, it's probably one of the very few situations where a country has said, Hey, there is a racial group being oppressed here. And you can actually point to politicians in said country calling for the murder of this group that like, it's not, there's nothing conspiratorial about it. People just don't like the fact that there's a country where white people are being oppressed for their race, which is crazy because no one wants to be oppressed. No one wants there to be a country where white people are being oppressed, but we do need to talk about it. So have things gotten better or worse since that documentary? I mean, I, I haven't been back there and a lot of my judgments about yeah. know, these very complex situations come from being on the ground, but I did do a, an interview, I think within this year with uh, Ian Cameron, where we spoke about the riots and the social downfall in South Africa, mass lootings. It, it does seem it's absolutely gotten worse. Things are not improving. Clearly blaming another race for all of your country's problems rather than working to heal that divide and fix the nation and get rid of corruption does not solve political issues. And we're, we're seeing the effects of that. People are essentially living like a Mad Max life if you're in South Africa. And this is something I mentioned in my documentary. Like if you are a South African, especially if you are a white person living in South Africa, it actually doesn't matter what race you are. You need to be armed. You need to be, need to be prepared to take care of yourself and defend yourself because the government aren't going to do it. Lord knows they might be the ones to harm you too. You can't trust the government in that country. You can't. They are unbelievably corrupt. Yikes. Okay. Okay. Going in a different direction. I follow you on across social media. So I hear about this sometimes. What's the most ridiculous rumor you've heard about yourself? Ooh, the most ridiculous rumor. I mean, there's some good ones. I like, um, 
uh, obviously the the rumor that I'm like secretly an Antifa hope not hate spy I find very funny that that's kind of the major one hope that a not. lot of Hope Not Hate is an NGO organization in uh, Britain that kind of do a lot of investigations and exposés on right-wingers and lobbying against uh, people. In fact, they both lobbied to have my Patreon account um, taken down and succeeded in that. And they lobbied to have me banned from the UK. Um, I met with them once 2017 to speak to them about them lobbying against my Patreon account. I tried to record the meeting, but it was just the worst audio ever. And it actually ended up coming up in a court case I, I brought against Patreon, but um, met with them once to confront them about whether they lobbied Patreon or not. And uh, the fact of me having met with them once someone recorded me saying it on a phone call and it got spread through all of these right-wing circles. And everyone was like, she spoke to them. We don't have any context, but clearly this means she's working for them and she's secretly a spy. And that just kind of became the narrative amongst a lot of, um, yeah, far right, far right accounts that I, that I work for the organization that took my income away and got me banned from a country. This is a huge problem in any sort of kind of more fringe political circles is they're obsessed with drama though. And they love rumors and they, everyone likes to feel like they've got, they've got the extra in. I know you're a fraud. I know you're a fed. I know you're this. And people will purity spiral into oblivion until like any radical movement, they end up going full Stalin tier and executing everyone around them and all of their supporters. Cause they think that everyone is secretly working against them. So I, I have no interest in being a part of any far right circles. There's so much mental illness there. And these people are more catty and about like gossiping than any actual political movement. But uh, you guys enjoy that. Why don't you? <laughs> Although I don't think you have far right audience. So I don't think so. I think most people I don't really know. I think most people probably have a similar stance to me. I don't know if that makes it an echo chamber or not. But I think it's like libertarian, which is just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't see, I mean, probably more of a conservative bent, but then whenever I say anything, that's not like pure conservative, they're like, ah, shrooms. <laughs> what, okay. When I say far right too, I want to specify, I don't mean far right the way the media use it, where it's like, ha you have questions about immigration and you want to preserve your culture. You're, you're a far right Nazi. No, I'm talking about like actual, like weird fringe people. <laughs> okay. That's good to specify. Yeah. What's the difference? What are the actual far? What are the actual far right people? Like? What are the actual far right? I mean, like if you want to kill a bunch of minorities to try and because uh, you think that's gonna, I don't know, save the white race or something. I think that's pretty damn insane. If you're, I, I think, talking about a whole lot of. Uh, yeah. Conspiracy, but conspiracies about how everyone that is like slightly more liberal than you, that's just normal conservative is actually like a left-wing psyop. Um, uh, certainly you can get down a lot of like massive conspiracy, uh, trails about, I don't know. It's, it's so hard to even distinguish anymore because unfortunately a lot of a lot of conspiracies don't really seem like conspiracies anymore because that's large, for sure. large government institutions just keep enacting the most conspiratorial shit ever, like mass surveillance. You know, we're going to do microchips and stuff. It's like, man, I can't even define who the crazy people are anymore because of you guys. <laughs> you're just like taking you're, you're going on like schizo blogs and taking your ideas straight from them. Um, but no, I do think I still do think that there are. Oh, you know how I define people that are like far, like crazy radicals on either side when their politics aren't motivated by love of something, 
Like I, I love my country. I love my family. That's what motivates me is like love for these things and wanting to preserve them. But when their politics is centered around hatred for the other group, like my whole mm. politics is I hate right-wingers. I hate white people. That's what my politics are. You're probably a crazy person. If your whole politics are, I hate immigrants. I hate Brown people, you know, uh, I hate liberals. That's my politics. And that's what I center my, my shows about. Cause you'll watch some shows and it's like, wow, you haven't actually talked about anything you want to preserve, anything you want to build anything beautiful or good. You've just talked about how much you hate people. Yeah. Like, I don't, that, yeah. that's what I would consider fringe and crazy. I don't like those people. I don't, I think they're just part of the whole modern, you know, deconstructionism. You don't actually have anything to offer. All you have is things to destroy. Okay. I like that. That's a good definition. So why did you get banned off of Patreon? Uh, they said I was partaking in activities which might lead to um, human loss of life, which my lawyers took one look at that and they were like, this is a ridiculous argument. Like 99% of your daily activities could potentially lead to loss of human life. Uh, you have someone who does crazy stunts, right? That could potentially lead to a loss of their life. You have someone that goes and partakes in a BLM riot or, or protest, which a lot of people who use Patreon did. Well, that did lead to loss of life and none of them got banned. Right. So I partook in a protest against a, a human trafficking ship. Um, and it didn't actually do anything. The ship just went on its merry way. Of course, the left would view it as a rescue ship. I viewed it as human trafficking. Um, it went on its merry way. Nothing happened. So if you're going to ban me from your site because I partook in something that didn't, but could have led to the loss of life. I mean, they're probably going to have to ban thousands of other creators that promoted or partook in the BLM protests, which did lead to loss of life. But of course there's no consistency there because it was political lobbying by hope, not hate that got me removed, not any sort of real platform on the website or anything that I had agreed to when I joined the site. Fair. Um, do you have, so for this migration issue that you've been focusing on more recently after doing your documentary, do you have suggestions for how to improve the entire situation from both sides, America and people trying to get saved? It's funny, funny you ask, because I didn't, this is a documentary that I, I didn't have any defined conclusions at the end. I kind of leave it up to the viewer to, to make up their mind. Um, you, I, I think you have to have a consistency. You people actually have to know what your policies are because when they don't, they're willing to go on this. I, I compare the whole thing I filmed. I compare to hell. I use like levels of Dante's Inferno and different um, references to types of hell within different cultures for all the names of my chapters, because it was the only comparison I could make of what I witnessed there. Like you've got Tapachula stadium, which is right across from Guatemala. And it's like a limbo. People are there for months and months and months and months on end, just sleeping under the hot sun, sleeping under trees. They have no idea whether they're going to be allowed to stay in Mexico. They have no idea whether they're going to be deported. They have no idea what's happening at all. It's just this like hellish limbo. And then uh, they, they continue on the track and they basically have to find traffickers. You can take a, you can take a train up to the U S border called the beast. It's actually got three names. The, the train, the death train, train de la Burt, or the train of unknowns. They, they have wow, these three that's names. Horrifying. Mm -hmm. And people die all the time on there. It tends to be run by the Zetas. They'll make you pay fees. They'll rape you on the train. Cause you can't get off. There's nowhere you can go. People will go on the top of the train and get knocked off by tree branches, lose limbs, oh. uh, uh, beneath the tracks and everything. And they take this death train, you know, flip a coin just to get up to the border and then find human traffickers and pay to get across, maybe get shot, maybe get, you know, kidnapped. 
uh, I, the state I was in Tamaulipas, interesting story. Um, a lot of migrants tend to get kidnapped by the cartel in Mexico because they're nameless, faceless people, right? If you want to get rid of a crime or you, if you want to commit a crime, especially something like rape or murder, then rape or murder someone who can't be tracked or found. Um, and that's, that's going to be migrants. In, I think it was 2011, right near where we were staying, they had the San Fernando massacres done by the cartel in Tamaulipas there, where they kidnapped 200 people off of passenger buses and took them to, and it was either like a field or a stadium and gave them hammers, knives, and various different weapons and made them all fight to the death. What? With the, yeah, literally squid game in real life. No joke. Oh my um, gosh. And they, the winner got to become a Sicario for their gang. So they had these 200 people like fight to the death brutally in what they could, what was described by police as gladiator style matches. And all of the buses just showed up in Reynosa uh, where I was staying empty with like no one on them and just luggage. Right. And then they buried all these people in mass graves that they found later. But this is, this is like the, the risks in the lives of these migrants who go through Mexico. It's just like a reality that they take. That's horrifying. I've been rewatching game of Thrones. <laughs> I know I just Good this one. is so yeah. loosely associated. I don't even know if I can say <laughs> yeah, it. like, it's right, so Gila, loosely it's like I regret that starting now. But uh, but anyway, it's violent, right? And I'm like, this isn't real. Like this can't. It's shocking to think a a culture can degenerate to that point where where you can pit 200 people against each other and then the winner joins the gang. That's like so absurd for the average person to even believe is possible or like, oh, that would never happen here. Or, and yeah, it's, I'm so torn about this immigration issue because the people trying to get in are people <laughs> that are suffering so badly, right. To, to risk all those things, to try and bring like them and their kids to someplace that isn't as scary. Like no wonder people are trying to get in. This is what pisses me off sometimes. And I don't blame you for thinking it at all. Cause this is what people are told, but they're like, Oh, they're trying to get out of this situation. That is so scary. Like 90% of these people are economic migrants. They could are you stayed. telling me I'm naive? Is that uh, what listen, you're saying? Lauren, yeah, you're not saying naive. You, how, you, how could you know? <laughs> like no one's telling anyone this. It's not, it's not your fault. Um, but like the Suciate where I went across, um, to there's a little town, I think it's called Chiapas beautiful, beautiful area. Any one of these migrants coming from South America could have stayed there. In fact, we interviewed the mayor of this little town across from the Suciate. And she said, they have hundreds, thousands of migrants come and stay in that little town and they thrive there. She's a really good mayor too. Holy shit. She just, um, when I was there, they were having a parade because they had built, uh, light posts all across the street to stop crime. Cause putting light in city areas tends to reduce, reduce crime drastically. So this was like her project. They're putting light posts all across the town, gorgeous town. Of course, you're not going to have the same, you know, big living that you could find in America, but you'd be safe. You'd be safe if you stayed there. So when I see people, Oh, I'm going to drag my kid across the Darien gap. I'm going to drag my kid on the, the beast you know, let them fall between the wheels so that I have a better chance of getting a passport to America. No, for the most part, it isn't for safety. No, I don't believe that. Some people for sure, but most are economic migrants and admit as much. You know what? Part of me is like, I don't, oh, part of me, I don't want to blame them because they get told it's easier than it actually is. Human traffickers tell them that it's not going to be as dangerous as they think it is. So maybe they do genuinely, actually, no, I do think a lot of them genuinely believe it's not going to be this insane, crazy 
death trap of a trip. So maybe it isn't so much their fault, but if they were given the truth, I think a lot more people would stay in the Southern safer States of Mexico, like Chiapas and, and make a life there instead of, yeah, taking this hell trip North. Hmm. Everything you learn is a lie. Everything, everything I know is a lie. I don't like, I don't trust. I have no idea what's going on anywhere anymore. Um, okay. Okay. Another question. Do you get sick? I mean, you obviously you still have an online presence and you're back at it after having a kiddo. So do you get sick of the negative attention you receive? Does that bother you at all? Or are you pretty resilient? It's interesting. It doesn't bother me, but the idea of it bothering my family bothers me. That's it. Yeah. I, I'm like way past, I'm way past that. And I, there, <laughs> Janice Joplin quote, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. What, what are people going to call me? Oh, you're going to call me a slut. <laughs> I'm a woman on the internet, like come up with something more creative. That's like the go-to. Okay. I'm a slut. All right. I'm a left-wing spy. Okay. I'm a far-right extremist. Ooh, I'm a mass murderer. <laughs> These are good ones, right? I don't care anymore. I don't, you, you can call me any name in the book and I've been called it a million times before, but I do care about how I think it might affect, um, you know, people who aren't as crazy as me within my life. Right. Especially (laughs) I'm kind of hoping I'm counting on the internet being obliterated by some crazy person before my son (laughs) gets old enough to, to read internet (laughs) comments. (laughs) Nah, he'll probably think you're cool. Yeah. I mean, or he'll be embarrassed for a while and then later he'll think you're cool. Something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I plan on, uh, yeah setting up a pretty cool life for him. So (laughs) are you going to do public school? Like, are you going to do the schooling system? Not a chance. No way. No way. No way. I like, I like my child. I like my son. I don't want him hating himself for being a male. I don't want him being told that, Oh, you should ask questions about that at the ripe age of six years old. Right? No, I'm, I've joked uh, with my husband before that we'd rather send him to an Islamic school than a public school. Cause at least they have some conception of reality. Like, (laughs) Gender, that's crazy. Know. That's you know, crazy, but that's true. Yeah. 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 yeah that's but um, yeah, probably a Catholic school. I, I think that um, the more I think about it, the more I think kids thrive in schools that don't have both genders. I, I don't know. Like I didn't, really? I didn't go to a school like that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially young boys. Oh my God. Okay, that maybe boys. May, okay. Maybe boys. I can actually get behind that, but can you imagine going to an all girls school? Oh yeah. That does, that does sound hellish. Yeah. So for boys maybe, but I mean, don't make all, don't make girls go to all girls schools. Sounds awful. Teenage girls are like, they're like the worst people on the planet. Yeah. I was thinking about this. You let me know what you think. Um, whether high school is matriarchal because they will punish any sort of physical confrontation to the extreme. So even if you like defend yourself and like punch back at a bully attacking you, like you're going to get suspended. You're going to get in massive trouble, any sort of physical confrontation, but kids can absolutely ruthlessly bully the shit out of each other Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. until like socially social exclusion. That's a very, uh, female high school girl tactic, right? Social exclusion, rumors, all of this sort of gossipy nonsense and life ruining through social crippling that thrives in high schools, but any sort of physical confrontation, nope, 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 nope. Um, so it's very like matriarchal and it really messes with people's heads. I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Do you remember honesty box on Facebook? No, I don't. Oh yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. I haven't Holy. heard that in a while, huh? 
honestly. Wow, box. you're giving me <laughs> flashbacks. Yeah, you're giving me. Wait, wait, wait. Can you explain? Because I, I reckon a lot of people okay. watching won't even know what that is. Okay, okay. So, honesty box. I think that was around in 2008, and it was in Facebook. I remember what. It was just after I got Facebook, which was only a few years after Facebook existed. And it was this box where if you were friends with someone, you could type in anything you wanted. You just tell them something. And so for teenagers, it was something awful. It was like, oh, I know you did this. And, you know, we're going to come to your house. And it's completely anonymous. And and so it uh, it was like, it was a night. They took it off. I don't know what happened to it. I think it just didn't go well. It's like, say nice things to your friends. Ha. Enter teenage girls. Right. Yeah. No, it would always be. Yeah. Like I, it would either be like something that's like, I have a crush on you, but I never yeah. want to tell you or something like that, or just something absolutely horrendous. What a yeah. terrible idea. What a terrible idea. I cannot believe you've reminded me of this thing. <laughs> Did you ever, um, get your house egged in high school? No. No, shocking. Lots of people. I have no idea why. I mean, people didn't know who my dad was. Thank goodness that like that happened now and not back then because people egged all the time. Is Mm -hmm. that normal or is that a Canadian thing? I don't know. Maybe you'd have to ask Americans. I'm Canadian. So I got my house egged once. I think it was because I rejected going to uh, our version of prom with a guy. But um, I felt so bad. We did did get our house egged. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a vague memory. I can't remember why. I don't know. But yes, there was, there was, yes. I do remember that. And then everyone yeah, that would was normal. each other's houses as well. Oh, and then, um, <laughs> oh, I feel so bad. I remember I was walking to a little Halloween party. I rarely got invited to parties in high school, but I was on the volleyball team. So I just always had that little like shoe in the door. I'm like, Hey, I might be a loser, but I'm on the volleyball team and I'm pretty good at that. Um, and I remember walking with a friend of mine to this party and there were a bunch of guys from the school that had taken cartons of eggs and they were driving around, just throwing them at people. And my friend got hit in the stomach covered in egg. Um, but yeah, people used to do that all the time, TPing each other's houses. Oh my goodness. We were horrendous to each other. I remember the autistic girl in my gym class getting horrendously bullied, horrifically bullied by other girls. Jeez. Wow. I wonder if that's like, you went to public, did you go to public school or private school? Uh, public. I went to private yeah. school when I was younger, but that's a very expensive <laughs> thing to go to. And my, I didn't grow up in like a super wealthy family. So we went to public school later, uh, when I was like, I was like 12 or 13 when we switched to public school, 13. I wonder if, like, cause I, I know people, all my friends were in public schools. I went to public school for my entire life. And that was like the norm, that kind of behavior. But I've, like, I know people who've gone to private schools and that behavior isn't norm. I was like, oh, did you guys do like, was there a group of people that did ketamine behind the subway next to your school too? And they're just like, what? The smoke <laughs> pit? Of course. We had, yeah, I, the I don't smoke even... pit. This like literally, does every school have that? <laughs> yeah, every absolutely. public school hang and, up by um, the smoke pit. Yeah. You'd have like the, the three characters that would always show up to class high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> consistently. Uh, we had one kid, I still can't explain it to this day. One kid got kidnapped and also got stabbed within a period of two years, completely unrelated events. Okay. I like things like that happened to my high school too. Like literal things like that. Yeah. Stabbings and things. I was like, this is just high school. (laughs) Yeah. Like maybe that's not, that shouldn't be high experience. Did you have, did you have a rival school as well? That would like do like, you know, in, in private school, it's like, Oh, 
Yeah. You've got a, yeah. ours was Brookswood. You've got a rival school and, uh, you, you just play sports against them and, you know, you make nice signs and stuff. If you're in a private school, that's, that's your rivalry. But then in public school, it's like the Brookswood kids came in and smashed all the computers in our library and left <laughs> spray paint and like a dead pig on the table. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, good times. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, nah, I'm doing private school for Scarlet. I'm doing the bougie school. None of this like crack behind the school for her. It's going to be expensive drugs. They're only doing cocaine at private. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Not laced. <laughs> Nothing in there. Just the yeah, pure. Stuff. Yeah. 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 <sighs> That's oh, it's amazing how much just, yeah. What school you go to, where you go to school will affect you for the rest of your life. Like those, those experiences, Holy, like, I'm not going to, I wasn't at, I wasn't at like some inner city school. Of course, there was still like, I I'm remembering like the worst of the shenanigans that happened right now, of course. But uh, if you're at like an inner city school in America where they've literally got like the metal detector machines, when you walk into school, your life is effed you're done for there's nothing like i'm sorry it's very maybe you can be like the one percent of ben carson's that somehow work the, their way out of that situation but if you are yeah if you start off with that that foot like you're done for so i understand to an extent yeah why people will go to such extremes to like change where they live and wanting to have a better starting point for their kids but um yeah geez that's crazy and then the way things are going to like they're like oh like getting Okay. So I'm relocating to Miami, getting Scarlett into a kindergarten class is like the bane of my existence. I literally had an interview. Um, although the school looks amazing. So I was like, okay, I'll do the interview. Um, but it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky situation. Um, especially, I guess, I guess there's been an influx to private schools since COVID because private schools stayed open for little kids and public schools closed. So anyone who could barely afford it was like, okay, it's cheaper than a nanny. And so it's a wild situation. It's a wild situation. When are you moving to Miami? Uh, hopefully this summer. I was really allergic to Nashville. I was in Nashville and I'm okay. That's like the daily wire. People are all there. Yeah. And Nashville's really cool. Uh, I really like Nashville. And then I was, I've been like chronically ill since I got there with bronchitis and asthma and was like, Whoa, I haven't been this sick since I was like on immune suppressants when I was young. And then I was like, Oh, it's tree allergies. And they have like 10 months of tree allergies in Nashville. It's one of the worst places in North America. And I'm like the token bubble person. So I went there and I'm just like, can't breathe. So Miami. Um, I'm, I'm going to be in Miami late next month doing the fresh and fit podcast. I think they need ah. to get back to me. So uh, I was going to say, if you were in the area, okay, you should either me come up. with me or uh, we'll hang out. If Ooh, you're there. That would be so fun. I would do that. Okay. Hit me up. I'll, I should be in Miami by then. So that would Will be you? Okay. I'll, um, I'll, I'll ask if you can come on with me. That'd be, that'd be great. I th I'm sure they'll hate us in the best kind of ways. No, I was on their show. Oh, have you done their show? Are they nice? I don't, all I know yeah. is that they kind of they'll like, be nice to you. No, they? They've got okay. a really they've got a really intense, like online thing that they do, but in person, I mean, they were ridiculously polite. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about them other than I've seen like peripheral drama about them on, I think I saw like Ethan Klein did a podcast with Ethan the girl. Klein. Yeah, yeah. Claiming that, um, I, I don't even know what it was. It was like this girl just saying that she had drinks with them and then they didn't buy her an Uber and told her to get mouthwash. And I don't know if it was supposed to sound like an assault story or if it was just like, 
trying to make them look bad, but it, it ended up being a little ridiculous. Uh, it was probably trying to make them look bad. I don't trust anything Ethan Klein says or does. Dude, that guy's or crazy. thinks for that matter. Yeah, yeah, he's He's nuts. got such a hate boner for you. I don't understand. He does. He's really rude. <laughs> it is. And it'll be like totally uncalled for. It'll be like you or your dad will say something like, hey, Ethan, like that wasn't a great, that wasn't a very nice statement. Like I thought we had a good show together. And then he'll retweet it like, I hope your evil daughter that's a whore that, you know, tries to force people to eat meat and got you hooked on drugs dies. I'm like, oh, did you have like some personal falling out with this guy? Like what happened? <laughs> That's so funny. No, I said that maybe if he lowered the carbs in his diet, he'd be a happier person. He didn't take, he didn't take kindly to that. You don't want to tell a man like Ethan, he needs to lower his carbs. That's a <laughs> nuclear bomb to someone like that. Very dangerous statement. Honestly, it's your fault. You brought all this hellfire down upon you. <laughs> uh, basically. Okay. Lauren, I would continue this, but I have to run. Um, if, okay. First off, if people don't follow you and if they're interested in your documentary, where should they go? Yes. You can follow my Twitter at Lauren underscore Southern, or just look at my name on YouTube. I don't know how suppressed it is these days, but I'm sure if you Google it enough, maybe on the 20th page, you'll find it. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks for having me on. This is always a blast and congrats on all the success with your show and your move to Miami. Hopefully I'll see you there. Yeah. 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 Keep me posted about when you show up and we'll figure out how to do something. That would be Sounds fun. Good. All right. Bye. I don't know what you do for a sign off. Cool. Bye. I don't know. No, that was perfect. Okay. <laughs> I'm keeping that though. <laughs> 